Girlfriends, episode number 53, Four Painless Ways to Improve Your Eating Habits. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about saying goodbye after the holidays, birthday celebrations, laundry, and of course, four no-brainer ways to start eating healthier right now. Well, I can't wait to start this episode, so let's go. Hey, girlfriends. Welcome back to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me again for another week here are you surviving? I hope you're surviving back to school, back to work, back to the routines. I mentioned last week that I actually kind of like the routines, so I'm feeling pretty good getting back into routines, but that doesn't mean it isn't painful. And the biggest part of a mom's pain, I think, is getting our kids into routine. My little guys, shameful to admit, my little guys who are homeschooled, so it doesn't matter what time they get out of bed, we're not up till 9.15 this morning. It's just how it is. They're still adjusting. Uh, but the other part of that equation is they need to be getting into bed earlier in the evening. So um, we're working on it. We're getting there. Today actually went pretty well this morning with getting their work done. And my kids were in school, of course, are on their second week already. I'm back to work for a second week. So we're all right there. Um, I've still got a couple of college kids who are still out, but yesterday, early in the morning, we brought Ambrose back to the airport so that he could go back to Florida. And I thought it was going to be fine. <laughs> honestly, one of my kids asked if I was going to cry saying goodbye to him. And I honestly just said, no, I'm fine. Um, you know, it, I felt perfectly adjusted to the fact that we had our time with him here at home and it was nice to have him and felt like, okay, he's ready to head back and have another great semester. And he does so well there. He's so happy that, you know, it's hard to feel bad about. Okay. But then we get to the airport and um, Dan and I both drove him and, you know, we left the house at four o'clock in the morning. So we get there and I I walked him in because it's cute. He had never checked a bag before and I wanted to make sure he got through that process and did it all properly. And he also didn't have a seat assignment yet. So I wanted to make sure that he actually had a seat on his flight. Anyway, so we walked him in and went up to the counter and did all that stuff. And then um, there's an escalator at this particular airport that goes up to where security is. And I kind of had a half a thought like, okay, we should say goodbye to him here because right at the top, it's just security and we're not going through security. But, um, you know, Dan, my husband just stepped right onto the escalator. So we were all going up together. And then when we got to the top, um, you know, Ambrose had plenty of time to make his flight. I mean, after he had checked his bag and everything, I think he still had almost an hour before his flight was scheduled to leave. So I wasn't in a panic about this, but my husband, Dan, has something I call his airport mode, where regardless of the status of your flight, regardless of how close you are to your gate, regardless of what time your flight is leaving and how many hours you might have, he is in a rush in an airport. And he's very worried about getting places on time. So many times Dan and I have gotten into arguments at airports because I'm wanting to like go to the bathroom or get a sandwich or whatever. And he's like, we need to get to our gate. So anyway, knowing this in retrospect, it makes the following scene um, a little more understandable. But so Dan was in his airport mode and he just, we get to the top of this escalator and I told you security is right there at the top of the escalator. And he just sort of grabs Ambrose and, you know, there wasn't a big long line or anything, but there was a, a couple that was approaching that was going to enter the line for security. And Dan just had it in his mind, like, Ambrose needs to be in line ahead of this couple. Like, <laughs> whatever. He just like grabbed him, shoved him in line. And that was it. I wasn't going to get a chance to say goodbye. He's just taking off into the security line. You know, he's going to be gone for four months. Uh, Hello. So I was just so flabbergasted. I stood there for a second and then I burst into tears. (laughs) My poor husband, who's, you know, just like feeling really accomplished, like he did this great thing, got his son into the security line ahead of this couple. turns around and I am just a wreck. I was like, what on earth? What a jerk. I can't believe you did that. And I'm just like a mess. And so, of course, then he decided to 
uh, fix the situation by calling Ambrose back so that I could say a proper goodbye to him. <laughs> but at that point, I was such a mess that it upset Ambrose. And I mean, all, all ended well. It was fine. And I'm glad I did get a chance to say goodbye to him. But what a blubbery mess it ended up being when I don't think it would have been that way otherwise. Regardless, I think I really needed to cry anyway. Um, you know, sorry to David, our one admitted girlfriend's listener who is a male, but I think most females can relate to that, that sometimes you need to cry. And sometimes whatever the reason is, even if it's a legitimate reason to cry, you sometimes keep going afterwards and you just feel like, uh, this is cleansing and I need to do this. So I assured Dan on the way home when the tears were still flowing that it wasn't anything I was holding against him. I mean, I actually think it's actually funny that we both approached that situation in such typically male and female ways that he was all about efficiency and expediency. And I was focused on the emotions of the moment. But anyway, uh, we did manage to say goodbye. And I felt better after my good cry, as we always do. It is very cleansing. Do you know that there's like chemicals, there's hormones in your tears, you know, that we actually do need that flushing out. It's it's real. That feeling that you need that is real. So just don't ever feel bad about sometimes needing to have a good cry to feel better. And uh, so that was the start of my day yesterday. <laughs> so that was kind of crazy. Uh, got got back home and thought maybe uh, we could sleep a little. I did not. I just couldn't. It was just like, whatever. I'm up for the day. And the day included football, which was exciting. Um, do you have a favorite team that's playing in the playoffs? We root for the Steelers here. I think I've mentioned that before. And they won yesterday. So thank goodness we can spend the week feeling happy and content. Otherwise, we would have been in a funk today. <laughs> I say we generously. Uh, I wouldn't have been in a funk, but uh, other people around here would have been. So anyway, we survived goodbyes. We survived football. All is well that ends well. And here we are starting another week. So I hope your weekend went as swimmingly as mine did or had the good results as mine did in the end. Um, now, last week, we talked about setting some doable goals for the new year. And one of those goals for you might be eating healthier. And maybe you don't even know where to start with that. There are so many diets out there and philosophies about food, it can really make your head spin. You know, it's actually sort of a side hobby of mine to research nutrition. And um, I, I kind of uh, favor the uh, low grain, no grain approach to nutrition. And it's just the way I, I like to eat anyway. It's a way that I prefer, like just meat and veggies is actually perfect for me. Um, and I just, in my own experience, I do better and I feel better and I feel healthier when I'm not eating a lot of bread and carbs. So anyway, that said, whatever your specific goals are for healthier eating, I want to share with you some ideas for no-brainer kind of painless ways that you can eat better, regardless of what your particular food philosophy is or um, what your goals are for your health and nutrition at the start of the new year. Okay, so the first easy way that you can begin to eat better, um, starting right this minute, <laughs> or today, tonight, at dinner, um, I want to recommend that you roast your veggies. Roast your vegetables. This is something that, you know, I've done this on and off through the years. Sometimes I'll, you know, make a mix of like potatoes and carrots or squash or whatever and, and roast it in the oven. And only just recently have I been making a concerted effort to do this several times a week. And I can't believe it. My kids, when I roast vegetables, will eat any vegetable, any vegetable. I mean, I haven't tried Brussels sprouts yet because I just have this bad association with them from my childhood. I know people rave about roasted Brussels sprouts, but I just, I can't do it yet. I may get there, but I cannot do it yet. But other than that, like roasted green beans, broccoli, squash, carrots, peppers, zucchini, you name it. My kids will eat it if I roast it on a pan. Now, this is easy too. I mean, okay. In the past, I've always tried to, you know, balance out meals that I get with, or that I prepare for my kids with a vegetable, whether it's like a side salad or, um, you know, green beans or you know, broccoli or whatever it is. But I always relied on frozen vegetables because it just seems so much faster, so much easier. That's what I grew up on. My mom always made frozen vegetables. And there's nothing wrong with frozen vegetables, except they are kind of bland. 
and sometimes mushy, you know, it's just not the best. So I've made an effort to be roasting vegetables and really I just put them on a pan, set set the oven at like 400, 425, even 450, depending on what else you have in the oven at the time. Because this is actually a nice thing too, that if you have, um, if you're cooking any kind of meat or something else in the oven, you can do this at the same time. Just cut up the vegetables, um, mix them with a little olive oil and whatever else you want for spices, salt, pepper, lemon juice, Worcestershire sauce, whatever. And it really honestly is so easy. Then you just stick it in the oven and maybe stir them up every once in a while. And they are so good. And it's so good for you because you know exactly what's in it. And you've got the healthy oils from the olive oil and all these vegetables. And I've been amazed at the fact that my kids will eat any vegetable I put in front of them as long as it's been roasted. So that's really encouraged me. And every time I go into the produce section now, I'm like, what else can I roast and kind of just look around. And uh, I think that's a really healthy thing to do. It's a really healthy habit. It's an easy way to get more vegetables into your diet. I promise you, if you think you don't love vegetables, if you think it's not your thing, if you think you only want to eat like protein and, and carbs, you know, give this a try. Just give this a try. Make a little pan of roasted vegetables, whatever kind you think you might like. Start with something easy that, you know, most people like carrots or potatoes and make a mix of those. Don't do only just potatoes because then that ends up being like hash browns or whatever. But make a mix of vegetables and then, you know, Try to get a number of different colors in the kinds of vegetables that you're roasting. And it really makes a beautiful side dish. I mean, I'm always wanting to take a picture of the pan of roasted vegetables as it comes out of the oven because it just looks so beautiful. And it's so appealing. So anyway, that's my first easy, no-brainer, painless tip because it really is yummy to roast your veggies. Just try it this week, I promise you. And if you have some roasted vegetables um, that you, you like to try, that you've enjoyed, or a recipe for roasted vegetables, send it my way. I will love it, and my kids will thank you too. Okay, the next easy, painless, no-brainer, but I mean, maybe this isn't painless. Uh, tip that I have for you is do not drink your calories. Please don't drink your calories. And yeah, maybe this would be a painful one for somebody who's addicted to iced coffees loaded with sugar or McDonald's frappes or whatever your particular vice is. Um, you know, I'm, I hear this all the time. You know, don't drink calories. Don't drink your calories. Or at least, you know, be aware of the calories you're drinking. And, you know, like a giant Coke, for example. Oh, it's just sugar. It's just sugar that you're dumping into your system and it's so readily absorbed by um, your your blood that it's like an instant spike in your blood sugar. So I really recommend to try this. You know, if, you, if you're addicted to a particular sugary drink, whatever it is, try cutting down on the sugar in it. If you're addicted to drinking, you know, straight up sugary soda, cut down on how much of it you're drinking in a day. Start there. Anyway, you don't have to go cold turkey. Um, or if you're addicted to a lot of sugar in your coffee, try to, you know, t- cut it and cut it by 25%. And then next week, try to cut it by another 25%. Your tastes do adjust. And I find, and I say this as a person who has been addicted to sugar, who has been addicted to all forms of sugar, who has lived on sugar alone for many years in a very unhealthy state, although I felt like I was healthy and I felt like I wasn't overweight, which I guess I wasn't miraculously. I was surviving on just sugar, carbs and sugar and sugar in all of its various forms. Not a healthy way to live. So anyway, I'm telling you, your tastes do adjust because now I I don't put any sugar at all in my coffee. And that would have, you know, 10 years ago, forget it. I would have fainted at the idea of drinking a cup of coffee that wasn't loaded with sugar. So your tastes adjust and you you find that, I mean, I think that when you're accustomed to drinking and um, eating a ton of sugar in your diet on a regular basis, that you just kind of become numb to it, and you need more and more and more just to even feel like you can taste it, that's a terrible place to be. So start moving it in the other direction. Start cutting back and, you know, make a commitment to try it for one week or for two days or whatever you feel like you can do. I am amazed at the number of calories in some (laughs) drinks like from fast food places, for example. Oh my gosh. Like go to the mall and, and go to like see that Cinnabon place, which smells amazing. I mean, just the, never mind the sugar in the giant cinnamon rolls that are as big as your face. But they also have these sugary drinks. I realized my, my daughter informed me because she had enjoyed one that afternoon. 
a giant sugary drink to go with your sugary cinnamon roll. I'm amazed at the calorie count in those. And not like you even have to be counting calories to care about that, you know, that you don't want to be taking in your nutrition that way. Because guess what? It's actually not nutrition. It's terrible for you. So just refuse to do that. Refuse to drink your calories and instead look for nutritious ways to get those calories. Because it's not true that a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. I mean, ultimately, if it's just, you know, calories in and calories spent, um, yeah, it looks like that kind of calculation, but it's actually not true. I mean, you may need to be looking at what kind of bang you're getting for your calorie buck and whether or not it's worth it and whether or not what it's doing to your moods because sugar affects your moods, let's be honest, and what it's doing to your your fatigue levels, because there's that horrible crash after a sugar high, let's be honest, that is it worth it? Is it worth it to you? Now, um, I also have to talk about diet soda because I have been addicted to Diet Coke for, um, I don't know, on and off forever. I always gave up Diet Coke when I was pregnant because I didn't feel like that was good for the baby. And then I always got back on it. And um, I recently realized that I was drinking a little bit less. Um, This was like shortly before Christmas, I noticed um, I had been buying seltzer waters and I was picking one of those up in the afternoon when normally I would have reached for a Diet Coke. And I I realized I was drinking more water with my meals. It wasn't even something I was consciously doing, but since I realized I was kind of moving in that direction with my habits anyway, I was like, maybe I don't need to drink Diet Coke. Whoa, shocker, right? Yeah, so I tried it. And... um, I am proud to say that I am no longer drinking Diet Coke as a regular beverage. That doesn't mean I'm never drinking it. I, you know, um, I'm a little wary of what those artificial sweeteners do to your body. I am uh, a little concerned about long-term effects of taking that in on a regular basis. But I did succeed in making the switch to thinking of Diet Coke as a regular beverage, like what you might have with your lunch, to thinking of it as an occasional treat. And um, the funny way that I did that was I decided when I realized I was drinking less Diet Coke, I said, you know what, I'm not going to say I'm never going to drink another Diet Coke, but I will say I will only drink Diet Coke if it has alcohol in it. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I like rum and Coke. And um, so anyway, this necessarily makes it like a once a week thing, you know, and it and then it necessarily puts it in that category of a treat. This is something that I'm not going to have a rum and coke with my my salad on a weekday, you know, and consider that a healthy thing. But uh, making sure that I'm only having it every once in a while and moving it into that category of a treat or a once in a while thing, something that I'm taking in moderation, extreme moderation even, as opposed to an everyday beverage. And I've been really successful with that. I don't miss it. I honestly don't. Very occasionally, I mean, it's still in the house. I'll see a can somewhere and I'll have half a thought like, oh, that would be nice. But it really isn't something that I'm craving or worrying about or spending any time or energy on. So maybe there's room for that kind of change in your life. If you're drinking a lot of calories, maybe there's a way you can switch your brain so that you're thinking of that high calorie drink. Like if it's, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee with whipped cream on the top and maybe think about that as a dessert you know, because it is. Maybe think about that as a treat and treat it like you would treat a dessert, not a beverage you're going to grab to, you know, run errands on the in the afternoon. Anyway, that might be one way that you can move toward not drinking your calories. Or, you know, if you drink your calories in the form of a smoothie, that's like a meal replacement in the morning, if you have a, a regular breakfast routine where you might make a smoothie, that's fine. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't do those things, but uh, recognize what it is that you're making a choice that this is actually my meal. You know, this isn't a, a beverage that I'm having with my meal as opposed to this is my breakfast, you know, and it's fine to do that. Or some people really like protein shakes, um, especially like a post-workout protein shake or whatever. Just be conscious of the fact that what you're choosing to do with it rather than kind of allowing beverages to be whatever with whatever kind of sugar content or calorie uh, count and never really kind of thinking it through. So that's what I want to encourage you to do is not drink your calories or drink fewer calories or consciously drink your calories. Make it um, a conscious decision that you're making. All right. The third And now I called these painless. And as I'm going through, I can see all kinds of ways they might be painful, but they can also be painless. The third painless way is to plan ahead. And what I mean by this being painless is once you've done it, it makes it painless to make healthier eating choices. And by this, I mean, 
Don't buy something if you don't want it in your house. Don't buy something and bring it into your house if you do not want to be eating it. Because you might tell yourself, oh, this is for the kids. Oh, this is just for school snacks and whatever. But if it's something that's a serious temptation for you and you don't want to be eating it, just remove it. Find some other way to give your kids school snacks or, um, you know, bring your family along for the ride with regard to making healthier choices. For sure, I've done this and there have been all kinds of moans and groans um, if I stop buying a particular food product, whether it be chips or ice cream or whatever. But I find that going through seasons where, you know what, I'm just not going to buy that this month. It's fine. It's okay to make that choice. And even especially if you're at the beginning of like a new health plan that's feeling radical to you, like a big change, I think it's really important to get those temptations out of your house. And it can be temporary. You might get to a place where you can handle having ice cream in the freezer and it's not going to tempt you. But if you're at a place where it is going to tempt you, then don't bring that in. The other part of planning ahead is to have things that are ready to go because a lot of times we just make an excuse like, well, I'm starving. I haven't had lunch yet. I've got to run out and pick up the kids. So I'm just going to grab this easy thing, which might end up being a Snickers bar or a bag of Doritos or whatever it is. You know, we make terrible choices when we're hungry and we're rushed. So my goal um, has been to make healthy eating choices as convenient as those unhealthy ones. And that does require planning ahead. But in the moment, it makes that choice much easier to make. It's such, It becomes a no-brainer. If you've got little cups of fruit that are cut up and prepared in your refrigerator, and I try to do this at the start of the week, the kids who go to school like to be able to have those for their lunches, and I like to have them as a snack option as well. If you've got that in your fridge, you're good to go. And that's as easy as grabbing a package of cookies or whatever else you might be, or a bunch of, you know, nutritionless pretzels or whatever it is. So make that kind of easier. Another way you can do this is by kind of cooking ahead. I find that I make um, protein, whether it's chicken that I'm cooking for dinner or pork, or if there's some kind of like turkey burgers or whatever, I try to make extra. I try to plan extra. Sometimes it turns into a whole meal of leftovers, which is nice. But other times it's nice to just have those protein sources in the fridge, ready to go so that I can add them to a salad so that I can make a sandwich for somebody with them um, rather than, you know, turning to processed, easy, junky convenience foods or, or stopping when you're out. That's always the big thing. Ugh. That's the big thing is stopping somewhere like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll go through the drive through or I'll stop at the convenience store and see what they have there or, um, you know, I understand that we have situations that come up sometimes and they're unavoidable and yeah, you just want to feed your kids or something and that happens. But I think the more that you plan ahead, the easier and more of a no-brainer it becomes to eat well and make healthy choices, which is what you want to be doing. So I find it's like a favor I'm doing myself ahead of time. You know what I mean? That it's important to invest in that. So when you're under the gun and you're trying to make a healthy decision, it becomes the easiest one to make, or at least one of the easy ones to make. Okay, now this last tip that I have for uh, making healthy eating painless really is a painless way to make healthy eating easier, and that is to have some chocolate. Now, that sounds maybe counterintuitive. I'm trying to get all the chocolate out of the house, you might be saying. But this is very specific chocolate. Um, no matter what meal plan or what diet regimen you're hoping to stick to, what your goals are for your health and nutrition, I think it's nice to have a chocolate bar. Now, I'm not talking about a Snickers bar. I'm not talking about a Nestle Crunch. I'm talking about a high-quality dark chocolate bar that's actually going to be fairly low in sugar, so like... 80% cocoa, you know, something along those lines. And again, this can feel like an acquired taste. So maybe you want to just start with a, a dark chocolate that's a lower percentage than that um, and see where you can go from there. Anyway, the whole point is to have this chocolate bar, a high quality, high chocolate percentage level chocolate bar that you keep in your pantry, you keep in a hidden place, keep it in your freezer if you must, or, you know, hide it somewhere in your, your cupboards, um, to 
for those moments when you really are tempted, when you really feel like I want to have, you know, X, Y, or Z, that especially if it's a sweet indulgence of some sort, I find it's really helpful to have that candy bar because you don't need a lot to feel like you've had something, that you feel like you've been given a treat. And in my experience, if you have that candy bar, that chocolate bar that's high up in your cabinet, yeah, keep it somewhere that's a little inconvenient to get to so you're not going to just eat the whole thing in the first day. But if you're having a moment like that, a moment of weakness where you're really feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go eat, um, you know, all the fudgesicles or whatever it is, just break off a little piece of that that chocolate bar and allow yourself to have it. And it's actually good for you, the antioxidants in that. And, um, you know, it's it's actually a, a healthy thing to do in moderation. And now this is something that I actually learned when I went to France because I wasn't eating a lot of desserts when I was there, although, wow, they have um, some great desserts in France. Um, but even when they, they would give you, like you'd order an espresso after dinner, they would always give you this tiny, I mean tiny, a small little piece of chocolate with it. And it was good dark chocolate. And I found that if I had that with my espresso, I didn't feel deprived of dessert at all. I felt like I had dessert. And it really is. And it's not about tricking yourself because honestly, if you're eating a giant piece of, you know, double chocolate fudge cheesecake or the caramel pumpkin, whatever, if you're eating it in these huge quantities, you're not even enjoying it. You're not even enjoying it. Maybe you taste it for the first mouthful or whatever, but after that, it's just n- not something that you're, you're thoroughly enjoying or experiencing. So be honest with yourself about that. And the fact that a small experience of what it is that you're craving, that, that sweetness or whatever it is that you're trying to um, satisfy, allow yourself to do it in with that chocolate bar. I find it's really helpful. I don't actually have one in the house right now. So now all I'm thinking about is a chocolate bar. But, you know, I, I find it's it's worth it to have that. And and it's a good reminder too that you're not saying no to everything. And whatever your goals are, and maybe you just, you know, you just have a goal of eating healthier and, and being mindful about what you eat, that it's important to keep that mindset in mind. There aren't good foods and bad foods. There's no moral, you know, quality that we can assign to various foods. There are foods that are more healthful and nutritious for you than others, but there's nothing that you need to say to yourself, I can never have that again. You know, uh, save for, you know, allergies or, or whatnot, or um, very specific circumstances where you're trying to break a really bad habit or an addiction to a certain kind of food or food type. Uh, sure. It makes sense to abstain completely um, for the beginning phases of that kind of cold turkey letting go. But once your body's adjusted, really, God doesn't mean for us to live in that way, like a highly restricted way. I remember years ago, there was a woman I knew and loved, and she was beautiful. I mean, she was a beautiful woman. Um, She has since passed away. Uh, But I I knew her online, um, also a little bit in person, um, And she always struggled with her weight. And, you know, there were times when she was heavier. There were times when she wasn't as heavy. But she just had this way of um, really reducing her eating to something almost scientific. Like, you know, she, she wouldn't have seasoning on things. She was eating, you know, just like a can of tuna with nothing or just a boiled egg just to kind of fill that hunger, you know, and, and not assigning any kind of pleasure to the cooking process or the eating process at all. Well, I don't think that that was a good thing. I think that what what is good is that God wants us to enjoy food. That's why it tastes good and smells good and looks attractive. That, you know, of course, we're not to do that with immoderation. So we, we need to approach these things moderately. But he means for us to enjoy our food. So reducing it to kind of the scientific experiment or the input and output and you're, you're not meant to enjoy it at all, I think is really not what God's plan is for the way he means for us to feed ourselves. So those are my four tips for you. I'm encouraging you this week to roast your veggies, don't drink your calories, to plan ahead, and to please have some chocolate. If you have tips on ways to painlessly eat more healthfully. I would love to hear them from you. I really, like I said, this is like a side project or a hobby of mine, uh, researching these kinds of things, not in an obsessive way, but in a very interested way and in a way of wanting to learn more about ways that we can uh, keep ourselves healthy, especially during the flu season. I am looking for ways to boost mine and my kids' immunity in the coming months. And um, if we 
can do that through the food that we eat, so much the better. You know, um, talking about that reminds me of a recent podcast I listened to where there was a doctor interviewed, and I cannot remember his name, but I think he wrote the book Eat Fat, Get Thin. Um, and he was talking about healthy fats versus non-healthy fats and the idea that a high-carb, low-fat diet isn't really ideal for um, you know, human health. And anyway, what he said was really intriguing. But the the most important thing that I took away from that interview was he said, food is the most powerful drug you will ever put in your body. And that was amazing to me. Like, I never thought about it that way before. I never thought about food as a drug. And yeah, it's not a drug. But what he meant by that was that it affects our bodies. The kind of food that we eat causes different chemical reactions, causes different reactions in our bodies, affects our bodies differently, affects our metabolism, affects our hormone levels, affects our moods, affects, you know, our our fat percentage on our bodies, affects our muscle mass. So, food is a powerful drug. So I I just want to encourage you to be thoughtful and to consciously make decisions about the ways in which you're going to feed yourself in the coming weeks. Let me know what your thoughts are. You can email me at danielle at daniellebean.com. You can also send me a voicemail. You know I love that. Go to daniellebean.com. Every um, every page on my website has that little tab in the side that says leave voicemail and you can click it easily. It will take you to SpeakPipe where you don't need any special equipment. You can record right from your phone or your computer. Also, you can record, just record on your phone and send me the file. Or we can connect on Voxer, which is a super fun app and an easy way for us to send voicemail messages to each other. So you can find the connection to my Voxer account in the show notes at daniellebean.com. I hope to hear from you. Okay, so moving to some feedback that I did receive uh, by email this week, I want to share with you a couple of different questions that I've gotten from some listeners to the podcast. The first one is from Kristen, who um, sent me the following. Well, first of all, um, Kristen is someone that I I met um, in Jacksonville when I was speaking at the marriage conference down there um, at the end of last year. And uh, she's I've heard from her before with some helpful voice feedback, but this time she emailed. Um, so I'm just going to share a little bit of what she shared here. Um, she said, number one, thank you so much for telling how your family does Santa. Um, I did that shortly before Christmas. We do it very similarly to yours. And I was recently doubting our decision as I often do, even though we made this decision a few years ago. I was overjoyed to hear your explanation and encouraged to continue with our traditions the way we planned and not be swayed by others. So thank you again for voicing your thoughts and voicing them in such a loving way. Thank you for that feedback, uh, Kristen. I appreciate that. Um, I think it's a common thing for women especially to feel challenged when they see people doing things differently. However firmly you might be convicted about the decision that you have made, that you think it's best for your family, you've talked to your husband about it, you've made this choice, and then you hear somebody who does differently and suddenly you feel all these doubts. And I think that's a pretty common thing. So it's important that we encourage one another to stick to your guns when you've made a prayerful decision, when you've decided something. Now, it, you know, whether you do or don't do Santa isn't a moral decision in the end, but if you've decided what's best for your family in that regard, do it. Don't be swayed by others. So I'm glad to hear that you did overcome that. Um, now, the second point that Kristen makes, she says, a random yet important question that you may have answered before in a blog. So maybe you can point me in that direction. I don't know that I have. Um, anyway, she says, how do you celebrate your kids' birthdays? I've been struggling with this because we have three of our four kids' birthdays in November, December, and January. It's a very stressful time already with holidays, feast days, traveling, sicknesses, and then adding in birthdays is just so hard to make it special without exhausting us and our extended family with so many get-togethers. I'm trying to convince them to let us do half birthdays in July, but so far they're not excited about that. Any advice would be great. Yeah, uh, December birthdays are really hard. We don't have any kids with December birthdays, but um, I had a sister growing up who had a December birthday, and she did choose the half birthday option one year, um, and I think she actually regretted it. <laughs> I don't know. There's something that's special about your actual birthday, so I kind of understand why your kids might be resisting that, but being realistic. Even if your kids' birthdays aren't in December, which is a crazy month, um, there's always that stress around kids' birthdays. And this is certainly something that I have done in various ways. I have failed at this in various ways since you know, ever since I became a mom. I remember my first daughter's first birthday and it was so important to me that everything be perfect. And, you know, we had some friends over and I made the cake and 
I, as sweet as it is, and I like looking back at those pictures, I also remember the anxiety and the stress over it. So I think sometimes we need to give ourselves a little reality check. Like, this is important. And yet our kids are picking up their cues from us about just how do or die this birthday situation is, you know, Um, some of my kids, you know, if we did nothing on their birthday, except maybe give them a gift or, you know, had a, a, a cupcake after dinner, they'd be fine. Others of my kids really, really look forward to their birthdays, super plan them out. I'm thinking of Gabby here, who through the years has famously begun her birthday planning in January and her birthday's in June. And there were years when she was so worked up about it, she couldn't even enjoy her birthday that she like, you know, I remember on two separate birthdays of hers in, you know, her early years, like I want to say she was like probably turning five or turning six or seven, that she got up in the morning and she couldn't even eat her birthday breakfast and she just threw up. And it was just from super excitement and nervousness. She wasn't really sick. Just she was she was spoiling it for herself. But I have to take some of that blame, too, that I didn't want to disappoint her. And she was probably feeling that anxiety on my part, sort of stress of the day. So we moms need to take a step back and we need to take a deep breath and we need to tell ourselves it's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the specialness of this beautiful gift of a child that God has given us. And it's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the unique beauty and joy and love that each child brings to our family as a family. But let's not kill ourselves trying to do it. And let's not break the bank. And let's not feel like we have to invite every single kid in the classroom, every kid on the block, every extended family member in order to do it. One thing that has kept me sane is that mostly, until the kid is old enough to actually request otherwise, we do in-home just our immediate family kind of birthday celebrations. Yeah, grandparents and godparents and whatnot might want to give them a gift, but that can be done separately. Um, And we try to just keep it to that one day. This is something that I've learned, okay? I learned this the hard way, that sometimes to try and make it easier to do all the things that you want to plan to do for this particular birthday, we have a way of spreading it out. Like, oh, we'll do this on the weekend, then we'll have your birthday dinner here, we'll do gifts on this day. Next thing you know, you're stressed out for a good two weeks celebrating this birthday with this kid. And so one thing that I did, um, I say, I don't know, going back probably eight years or so, I said, whatever we do for a child's birthday is happening on their actual birthday. Rare exceptions could be made if we were hosting a party or whatnot, or if the kid had a special outing that they wanted that needed to be done on a weekend or on a particular day. And in that case, that day was the one day. Contain it, you know, contain the crazy. And you only do what you can do in that day. And really focusing on gathering together as a family and what it is, like birthday, You're celebrating the gift of this child. You don't need to make some big, you know, investment in order to do that of time, energy, or money, or craziness. That in order to do that, celebrate the gift of this child, the child that, you know, the day your child was given to you, the day your child was born, the the day that that child entered the world. It's a beautiful thing to celebrate, but focus on that and let that kind of temper the ways in which you're going to celebrate. Ultimately, you get to decide your family's culture. Is your family's culture going to be the renting out a farmyard full of ponies to celebrate every birthday, inviting everybody in the world, giant presents, you know, getting a trampoline, whatever? Is that your family's culture? Is that what you want? It sounds to me, Kristen, like it's not what you want for your family. Um, So really, I would focus on ways to make the child feel special. Now, one tradition that we have, and I love that I started this years ago. I don't know where I got the idea, but it's stuck. And even though my family sometimes rolls their eyes about it, we do it for every every person whose birthday it is at our house that when we do cake and ice cream, we always do, you know, whatever, maybe it's pie, whatever the kid chose for their, their particular dessert. Um, when we're doing the dessert part, we go around the table and each person says something that they especially like about that person, something they especially appreciate, some some compliments, some words of encouragement, something they've noticed about a way that they've changed or grown. And I have found that what a gift this is to me as a mom to see my family use encouraging and affirming words to one another, where that isn't always the language that siblings use for one another. And to hear that, you know, the the themes go around the table with, you know, recognizing various strengths and virtues in each of our children. And it really affirms that and encourages that goodness in each of our children. I find that when we give voice to it and 
yeah, sometimes it's a little awkward. Sometimes I, I cry. That's fine. I'm always crying anyway. Um, but sometimes uh, they need that little nudge to be able to do it. But it really is very a very beautiful thing for that birthday child. And that's one way that you can make a birthday special without any extra planning, any extra monetary investment, any extra cooking or anything, you know? So even if you keep it as simple as that, make it part of your family's culture that you get one gift, you get a meal that you get to choose what it is, along with the dessert that you choose what it is. And, um, you know, your family says nice things about you at the end of the meal. That's a beautiful celebration, in my opinion. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that you get to set that standard. And maybe other listeners have other ideas about ways to keep birthdays simple, especially during busy seasons. Let me know. Email me, danielle at daniellebean.com, or leave me some voice feedback. I think we all can benefit from the reminder not to make ourselves crazy celebrating our children's birthdays. It's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the gift of your child, but don't turn it into something that's really going to be harming you in the long run. Okay, this week I also heard from listener Sasha, who happens to be um, a fellow parishioner of mine at uh, St. Andre Bissette. Hi, Sasha. Glad to hear from you. So she wrote, hi and happy new year, Danielle. I listened to your podcast yesterday while my daughter was at gymnastics. So happy to hear that you are going to continue in this new year. I, for one, would love to hear about your laundry strategy. There's only four of us in our house, and I have yet to figure out why I can't get a handle on it all. (laughs) Thanks so much for your work. I enjoy it, Sasha. So thank you for that, Sasha. I appreciate that question. And I take any opportunity to talk about laundry. I love to talk about laundry. As much as I don't love laundry, I love to talk about it. (laughs) And I kind of obsess about it because, do you know what? It's a big deal, especially to someone who's a homemaker. It is really an important part of running your household smoothly. If you want to know how my life is and whether or not my life is in order and in balance, take a look at my laundry. If it's spilling out all over and it's out of control, then my life is. If it's mostly in order and clean clothes are where they belong and the machines aren't a mess, then you you can sort of gauge where my life is from that. And I think that applies to a lot of us, that it's sort of a symptom of the crazy in our lives and the times that things spin out of control. So that said, laundry, um, yeah. Uh, I waited way too long to implement this particular system. And this is something that works well with older children. Now, my youngest is 10. So I am working with older kids um, who are a little bit capable with laundry. But it could be adapted to work for a younger family. I'll explain that. Um, What I did this past spring, and I forget who gave me the idea, but whatever. um, I kind of, well, you know, going back first of all, rewind. Years ago, I realized that um, Dan and my clothing was getting lost. Like, I can't even tell you how many times that I was like, where did this, you know, these gym shorts go? Or where was this t-shirt? Or Dan would be looking for work socks. And it was just lost in the giant mass of laundry that we had in this house. I was doing laundry every day. I still do laundry every day. Um, And that might be something that you want to consider. I don't know with four kids, Sasha, if you're doing laundry every day, but that is one way to be sure that you stay on top of it is to make it part of your daily routine. Then it's pretty painless and you're pretty much on top of it all the time. Um, But that said, I was doing laundry every day and yet we had, you know, we had like a clothes hamper upstairs and one downstairs, but it was like communal clothes hamper. That's where the dirty clothes go. And um, I realized that our stuff was kind of getting lost in that mix. And so I made the move to just have a laundry hamper that was just mine and Dan's. And I would wash our clothes separately from the rest of the family's clothes. Well, that kind of, you know, set off a light bulb in my head as I realized those loads were super easy to dry, fold, and put away, like all in the same one task because it was contained. It was just our stuff. So if I, you know, if I pulled those clothes out of the dryer, I would bring them up to our room, get them all hung and folded and put away. And it was that simple and easy. What I realized was how much time I was spending because our laundry system was this giant mixed up mess of everybody's clothing from the teenage boys down to the baby in his tiny socks that I was spending so much time sorting the clothes after it had been cleaned. I had these giant piles of clean laundry and it was just a nightmare of a chore and I would pay my children sometimes out of desperation to just fold and sort the clothing into, you know, everybody's piles. 
why was I doing that? So <laughs> my big inspiration this past spring was to get each child his or her own laundry basket. Mark it clearly with a Sharpie. The boys got black baskets. The girls got white baskets. And that's where they put their dirty clothes. So each bedroom has multiple of these baskets in it. Um, some, of, some of them put them in the closet. Some of them can fit underneath the bed or whatever makes sense for you. But that's where their dirty clothes go. They don't go in the big laundry hamper that is in our main bathroom. That's, you know, generally towels, sometimes socks or random other items that are around the house or maybe sheets occasionally. But your personal clothes go in your personal basket. And I really had to enforce this in the beginning. And um, some kids are still learning. But I find that it really becomes a habit for them that they have their own basket. When the basket is full, you bring it downstairs to the laundry machines and you do your laundry. With the younger boys, they sometimes need some of my help. And I actually don't mind because I'd rather do that than have a mess in my machines. Um, but what really works great about this system is, you know, teenagers, older kids can totally handle their own laundry. And they do. Occasionally, we'll have kind of a backup in the bathroom. Um, our, our laundry is in our bathroom. And you know, that there's a bunch of kids trying to do their laundry at the same time, but those problems have pretty much worked themselves out. And, um, you know, sometimes kids will notice that it's, it's a lot of people are doing their laundry in there and they'll wait till later in the day. They might even wait till the next day. It's just kind of worked out. We don't have a set schedule for who does their laundry when, um, but that those problems haven't been too much of an issue. And the nice thing is you bring down your basket that has your name on it and you put your clothing into the washer. And then if you're not home, and this often happens with my older kids, and I don't mind moving their clothes from the washer to the dryer, moving their clothes from the dryer to their basket and returning that to their room, but they're responsible for it after that. It's nice to have the basket there with their name on it so you know whose laundry is in the machine. So it's been life-changing. I honestly, I can't overestimate how life-changing it has been for me to have this laundry system. It gets a little out of whack, and it did over Christmas break, because my oldest son, Eamon, who's, you know, away at college most of the time and responsible for his own laundry, still will put a lot of his laundry into that main laundry hamper, and I'll have to remove it, remind him. You know, sometimes I don't mind running a load for him or whatever, but generally speaking throughout the year, the system runs really smoothly. I don't have those giant overwhelming piles of laundry, and I'm astonished that I don't have it. Um, I do my laundry and dance, and uh, that's super easy to do, probably three three times a week, depending on how many different outings we have or whatnot. And I help the younger boys with theirs. That's it. And, you know, like I said, sometimes I'll move other people's through the machines, but that is not a problem for me. That is not the time investment that laundry is. Now, okay, you might have five kids under the age of six, and you're like, this is not going to work for me. But it can work for you. I mean, you might make, um, you know, two and two and two of your kids laundry buddies and put their dirty clothes and train them to put their dirty clothes in one hamper together. So you're only washing two kids clothing together. That really simplifies the sorting process. It's amazing the amount of time that we will spend with the sorting and folding after the fact. And I find a lot of times that's the killer about laundry. That's where it gets backed up. And that's where we have real issues with laundry is at that stage. And that's how you end up with giant, overwhelming, guilt-inducing piles that are like all over your bed and all over your bedroom and in your laundry room and in your bathroom. And oh, it's a nightmare. So avoid that. So if you've got little kids who aren't able to handle their own laundry, this system can still work for you. Just, you know, couple your kids together. Do the sorting beforehand so it doesn't have to be done. Make it so that, you know, maybe you just have the, the baby's clothes that you wash on its own. And you'll be amazed at how easy it is to take care of laundry, how it streamlines the entire process when it's all one person's clothes or two kids' clothes or just towels or just sheets that you're you're handling in your laundry machines. If you have other tips for laundry, for especially families, especially for moms who might be feeling like they are drowning in a sea of laundry, send them to me. I'd love to share them on a future episode. I'd love to add your voice to the Girlfriends Podcast. So if you can, leave me a voicemail. Go to daniellebean.com. Click that tab to leave voicemail. Send me an audio file right from your phone or connect with me on Voxer. All the information is in the show notes at daniellebean.com. I would love to talk some more about laundry. So let me know what you're thinking. And now I want to give a shout out to Bridge. 
B-R-I-G, I think that's pronounced Bridge, who has become our newest Patreon supporter of the Girlfriends podcast. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash girlfriends and find out how you too can become a sponsor, a supporter of this podcast, how you can give a little bit of financial support to the production of this podcast and make sure that I'm going to continue and be encouraged to continue producing this podcast week after week. You can do that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash girlfriends. You can pledge as little as a dollar per episode and every little bit truly does make a difference. Um, something I'm working on this week, so you'll want to be checking out patreon.com forward slash girlfriends this week to check it out. There are some bonuses that you can earn for various levels of pledges. And um, I'm experimenting with something where I'm going to do a monthly Google Hangout. And in order to qualify to get an invitation to the Google Hangout where we can interact via video, you can ask questions, I can share on whatever topic might be on your mind, or, you know, we can just discuss things back and forth with a number of us. Um, in order to qualify for an invitation to that, you just need to pledge as little as a dollar per episode, and you'll get an invite to that monthly Google Hangout. So for all the details, you can go to patreon.com forward slash girlfriends. And I'd love for your feedback for this new way that I'm hoping to encourage support of the program. And that's all we have time for this week. But I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for your iTunes reviews. They really do make a difference and they help get the word out about Girlfriends so we can find new listeners and add new voices to this community of listeners to the Girlfriends podcast. So you can leave your review at iTunes or at Stitcher or wherever you happen to listen. Also, thank you for the ways in which you share the episodes of Girlfriends through social media. It means a lot when you just send the link or post it to your Facebook or Twitter. You know, let me know that you enjoyed the program. Maybe share it with friends who might also enjoy listening. It's a great way to get the word out about girlfriends and it's a wonderful encouragement and affirmation for me producing the podcast. So thank you for all of that and thank you for all the ways that you encourage me and give me feedback but also thank you just for being here, just for showing up again for another week. It really is a joy to produce this podcast for you and connect with you in this way. So until next time, Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy your week and God bless your day.